Okay, good morning, uh, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to Free Association. Um, this is a, a show on the psychology of mass formation. Uh, I was listening to uh, an, an interview with a, a guy from Belgium who's a clinical psychologist called Matthias Somebody, Mr. Desmet. Um, very interesting guy. Uh, he's nailed exactly what's happening. Um, and uh, I haven't got that particular interview, but I've got another interview that he's done recently that I want to play. Uh, so it's all about mass formation, which is a slow kind of hypnotic move into totalitarianism. That's what he's talking about. It's a, an inability to see more than one option, an inability to acknowledge the existence of more than one option, but it's it's, it's basically mass hypnosis. Anyway, I'll let him explain it because he's the guy with the qualifications. He knows what he's talking about, and uh, he's absolutely nailed it, though. He's on huge. psychology at Ghent University and also holds a master's degree in statistics and from his base of knowledge he has a very interesting and important take on everything that's happening in the world right now with the pandemic so no matter what your beliefs his psychological purview is very important to take into account so I can't wait to share this podcast with Matthias Desmond the truth is, is that we're all the master, we're all the healer, we're all the mystic. Give it up one time for Aubrey Marcus! Matias, thanks for coming on the show. You're welcome. So I'd love to start with uh, a little explanation of your background and where you're coming from and where you've gotten... Um, your education and and, uh, and some of your credentials uh, to talk about what we're about to talk about. Oh, that's great, yes. So I, I, I actually, I, I am a professor in clinical psychology and I lecture at, at Ghent University in Belgium. Um, and I'm also, I have a double degree actually. I'm, 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 I have a degree in, in, in psychology, but also, I also have a master, got a master in statistics. So meaning that uh, I, I could take two different angles or two perspectives on this crisis, actually. Yeah, and that's kind of where that's kind of where things started for you, because with your background in statistics, you started noticing that there was models that were being projected out into the world, and then the models were not making sense uh, pretty quickly. So, tell us how that got into you know your mind as far as taking a look at things and thinking hmm, something's not quite right here. Yes, so indeed in, in, in the beginning of the crisis, so around uh, the end of February 2020, I, uh, I, I, for, uh, first I, I, I took the perspective of a statistician indeed. I started to, to, to study some numbers and some figures and some um, the mortality rates, the infection fatality rate, the case fatality rate, stuff like that. And 
I, I immediately got the impression that uh, that, that most statistical uh, uh, models uh, overestimated uh, the dangerousness of the of the virus, uh, and um, uh, by the end of 2020, in my opinion, uh, by the end of May 2020, uh, this was proven beyond doubt. I think because the models that were used uh, or on which the, the corona measures were based worldwide uh, uh, predicted so those were the models of, of imperial imperial college in uh, in, uh, in london uh, these models predicted that in a country such as sweden uh, about uh, eighty thousand people would die by the end of may 2020 if the country did not go into lockdown and uh, the country did not go into lockdown and only 6,000 people died um, and which means about you know, 13 times less uh, uh, than was pre predicted so the, the the predictions of imperial college were, were completely off actually um, and um, the, the strangest thing was for me that uh, at that moment uh, like the the, the 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 corona measures uh, or or, the, or the, the the people in charge always claimed that that they relied on mathematical modeling and on science actually but uh, uh, when it was proven beyond doubt that uh, the initial models uh, were completely wrong the measures continued the corona measures continued as if nothing was wrong as if as if, as if the models were right so that was a, like for me that was a, a, a strong sign that uh, uh, there were things going on at a psychological level that were really powerful. Besides other things, of course, like something that all that also struck me in the beginning of the crisis was that um, political leaders never seem to have taken into account uh, the collateral damage caused by the measures. And so, like in my opinion, if you uh, take measures against the virus, the first thing that you would consider is uh, whether the, the measures you take, for instance, the lockdowns, uh, will not claim more uh, uh, victims uh, than the virus could claim. And that was exactly, so like in the beginning of the crisis, um, uh, institutions such as the United Nations uh, warned us immediately uh, that uh, uh, there could be uh, uh, more people dying from hunger, from starvation in developing countries than there could possibly die from the virus if no measures were taken at all. So it showed us immediately that actually the remedy could be far worse uh, uh, than the disease in this case. And also that in one way or another, uh, nobody seemed really able uh, to take into account both uh, the um, uh, the, 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 the victims that could be claimed by the virus on the one hand and the collateral damage caused by the by the corona measures and never during this crisis we saw one mathematical model that calculated both the number of victims that could die from the virus and the collateral damage of the measures never this never happened and that's just it's it's such a basic thing that you would do you know, if you if you're acting in good faith and you want to do the best thing for the world, the best thing for the country, you look at all different options and you assess risk and reward for all different options and you make a logical decision. You know, I mean, it's just 
It's just the, the most obvious thing to do. This is not like, wow, what an amazing idea, Matthias. No. How did you come up with that? That's incredible. It's it's obvious that you It's the most that. basic consideration someone can do in this situation, yes, and it never happened. So it's, it, in one way or another, it showed how that the attention of, of, of the entire world was so narrow, that it was so focused so much on on one risk or one danger, the, 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 the coronavirus itself, uh, that to me it seemed as if uh, 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 I should, from, from then on, from the end of, two, of May 2012, from the end of May 2020, I really switched perspectives. I really had a feeling that uh, uh, I should try to understand what was happening at the psychological level, what made that the attention of people was so narrowly focused on uh, the, the on the uh, uh, on the on the coronavirus. Uh, this was something that this was something that was very difficult for me, and um, you know, this is a very complex situation, and it's hard to know what exactly the right thing to do is. But the fact that people weren't considering all of these other tangential and secondary effects of all of the measures being taken, and not only that, but the opportunity cost of the money that was being spent to support the lockdowns and the closing of businesses. I mean, the U.S. alone has produced trillions of dollars of excess no. capital. And if you look at statistics of estimates from, you know, different worldwide organizations, okay, what would it cost to create sustainable food supplies for the entire world yeah. and world hunger? It's like 300 billion or somewhere mm. around there. What would it cost to get clean sanitary water for mm. everybody who's dying of parasites with the bloated belly? Okay, that's maybe 150 billion. All right, mm. Maybe it's double that. Doesn't matter. Mm. It's less than one stimulus check. And all of a sudden, yes, we ended world hunger. We ended you know, we provided clean water for the world, and then mm -hmm. we can start looking at other things. Okay, let's improve education. Let's improve all of these other qualities that ultimately downstream lead to the degradation of society, poor education, poor support, poor nutrition, you know, lack of lack of support for families and domestic abuse and, and all of these centers. There's so much that could have been done with the money. So there's like not only the direct cost, which is the suicidality that goes from lack of meaning and lack of purpose of people taking their jobs and, and the increase in alcohol sales, which are through the roof and increase in domestic violence and all of these other different things and the people who are being starved. But then there's opportunity cost. And that wasn't in a model either. So like no one was deciding like, OK, maybe this is the right thing. And I'm, and I'm still open to that. I'm still open to that. But you have to show me. You have to show me that, that this is the right thing compared to all of the other things that we could do. I mean, I was the CEO of a, of a big company. It's, it's, ba it's basic. You know, like, oh. here, here we, got this, we got this opportunity. It's going to cost this. This is where it's going to go. You just figure it all out. Of course. You make the best choice. And maybe you're wrong, but at least you've considered it. Of course, yes. And that's, that was what, what, what didn't happen and what, what was, was, was really striking. Um, uh, and then... And, 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 like you know, I started to to really think about uh, what what psychological dynamic or processes could be responsible for 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 this lack of uh, openness of mind in a situation, and it took me several months. Actually, it took me until August two thousand and twenty to really. In my opinion, hit the nail, <laughs> and then to and to 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 suddenly see 
that uh, what we were dealing with was a large-scale phenomenon of mass formation, of what is called mass formation. And uh, looking backward, it, 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 it seems really surprising to me that it took me so long because I had been lecturing uh, uh, for three or four years uh, about this psychological process, which, which showed actually that also I, as a psychologist, was very much uh, uh, under the spell of, 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 of this process, or at least that, that also for me, it was it was really difficult uh, to see what was going on, and I believe that's the same for my co for my uh, for my colleagues uh, in psychology. Most of them uh, uh, are really not aware of, of 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 what is going on at this moment. I mean, ninety nine percent. Yeah. So this I want to really get into this um, into mass formation and understand it. Is it is it possible that just like you, you know, first of all, I want to I want to make it so that it doesn't seem like we're saying this is some conspiracy and, and it has to be that. It seems like it's possible that even the politicians themselves, even the policymakers themselves, everybody was falling victim to this kind of mass psychosis yeah, that yeah, was happening in mass formation. You know, this was just a psychological process that was universal that doesn't necessitate and doesn't necessitate some evil intent or some you know, powerful cabal that's trying to no. do something to harm people. It's just a psychological process that's of difficult to difficult to resist unless you become aware of it. Uh, yes, yes, it's a psychological process that is for ninety five percent an un an unconscious process, both at the level of the masses and at the level of the leaders of the masses. So that that that's one uh, uh, very important thing that the leaders of the masses usually. Uh, are also grasped in the process of mass formation. But maybe we should go into detail a little bit and tell how it emerges in a society, the process of Absolutely. mass formation. Is, is that okay? So like like mass formation is a specific kind of group formation and it, 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 it emerges or, uh, in a society when uh, very specific conditions are met. Uh, 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 and then the most central of these conditions, the most important of these conditions, is that there should be a lot of people who experience a lack of social bond, a lot of people who, who feel socially isolated. And then the second condition immediately well, let me stop. Let me stop you there because I have some yes. statistics. So lack of social bond. We're talking about ripe conditions for this psychological phenomenon called mass formation, which is a kind of group hypnosis. Yes. So number one, lack of social bond. This is a, this is a condition that's important. Here's some statistics. Um, according to the National Survey from it published in the American Sociological Review, 25% of people reported that they didn't have a single close friend. Not one, right? No. That's a that's that's a crazy thing. Twenty one okay. out of four people yeah. didn't have a single close friend, and then the seventy five million adults aged eighteen to twenty seven, comprising the millennials and Generation Z, were lonelier than any other U.S. demographic, which is wild to think. We think of like older older generations being lonely, but it was actually the younger generations reporting even more loneliness. Some psychologists say it's a social media paradox. People are interacting mm -hmm. online with their avatars, which isn't their true self. So they're not creating mm -hmm. the intimacy of vulnerability that comes from shared experience. So as far as condition number one for mass formation, it's inarguable that we are suffering a crisis of lack of community and lack of social Yes, yes. We do. We do. Yes. 
Yes, and from from the from this first condition follows the second one, which means that a lot of people experience life as meaningless or senseless. And um, uh, for instance, think about uh, the phenomenon of the bullshit jobs. I don't know if you're familiar with this phenomenon. Uh, uh, Professor Graeber in the, in in in, uh, in Great Britain wrote a book about it, which was titled "Bullshit Jobs." And he describes how research shows that uh, when you ask people whether whether they think their job is meaningful, 50% of the people answers not at all. 50% feels uh, that their job is not meaningful at all, that it doesn't mean anything to anyone. So it's, it's, it's also a very nice example, I think, of it's how a very strong condition. I also have another. I have another study. Um, that I was able to, to find. It's a Gallup poll from 2012, polled people in 142 countries. 63% of respondents admitted to being so disengaged at work that they were sleepwalking through their workday, putting time but not passion into their work. 63% of people, right? Yeah. So, okay, condition number two. Condition yes. number two, we've, we've established that there's a lack of social bond, there's a lack of meaning and purpose in what people Absolutely. are doing. Yeah. And the third condition follows actually from the from the first two conditions, and me, and the third condition is that there, in order for mass formation to emerge, there should be a lot of what psychologists call free floating anxiety and free floating psychological discontent, meaning that. Uh, you know, if you're anxious of a lion, you know what you're anxious for. So the, 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 the anxiety is connected to the mental representation or the mental image of a lion. But if people feel socially isolated and if they feel that their life has no meaning, then they are confronted with a kind of anxiety that is free-floating. That means that it is not connected to, to a mental representation and with a lot of psychological discontent that is not connected with a mental representation. And also that, at that level, we see uh, very striking things, namely that, for instance, in, in a country such as Belgium, um, uh, each year, 300 million doses of antidepressants are used in a population of about 11 million. And then we are talking only about antidepressants. There are also antipsychotics and sleeping pills and all anti-anxiety medications. Yeah. 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 So, and then uh, the fourth condition is uh, that there should be. A let lot me of just give. Let me just give one more study. So, the World Health, Health Organization says that one in five people are actually uh, actually have anxiety disorders. So, they actually not only have anxiety, but they qualify as having anxiety disorders, yeah. which is over three hundred million people. And that's something that's, you know. In the in the manual, like an anxiety, just not just like a little bit of anxiety, oh, no, no, which no, no, a lot no. of us have. Yes. Like one in five people have anxiety disorders. So this free floating anxiety is also incredibly pervasive. Oh yes, of course it is. Yes, yes, um, uh, yes. And then and then the, the the fourth condition is that there should be a lot of free floating frustration and aggression, meaning like people should feel, and that actually follows from, from the other conditions as well. So the people should feel frustrated and feeling aggressive uh, uh, without also really knowing uh, uh, what the cause of their frustration and aggression is. Uh, so the, 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 and then if, if these four conditions uh, are fulfilled uh, in, in, in society, then uh, 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 the population is in a, in a mental state 
uh, in which something very specific can happen. Can happen, meaning that if under these conditions a narrative, a story, is distributed through the mass media, indicating an object of anxiety, and at the same time providing a strategy to deal with this object of anxiety, then the following happens, or might happen. All the free-floating anxiety, free-floating anxiety, which is extremely painful because it, it always threatens to turn into panic. So all this free-floating anxiety is attached to, connected to, the object of anxiety indicated in the narrative, and there is a huge willingness to participate in the strategy to deal with this object of anxiety. Because in this way, people feel that they can control their anxiety and their psychological discontent better. So all this anxiety connects to this object of anxiety, and there is a huge willingness to participate in the strategy. And that leads up to something very specific. People suddenly feel connected again in a heroic struggle with the object of anxiety. So, a new kind of solidarity, a new kind of social bond, and a new kind of meaning-making, sense-making emerges in society. And that's the reason why people follow the narrative, why people buy into the narrative, and why they are willing to participate in the strategy, even if it is utterly absurd. Because the reason why they follow it has nothing to do with the fact that it is correct or accurate or, or, or scientific. Not at all. The reason why they buy into the narrative is because it leads to this new social bond, this new solidarity. People are social beings and being socially isolated is really painful. And through the process of mass formation, they switch from the very negative state of social isolation, or isolation to the opposite state of maximal connectedness, of the maximal connectedness that exists in a crowd or a mass. And that in itself leads up to a kind of mental intoxication, which is the real reason why people stick to the narrative, why people are willing to go along with the narrative, even as we said, if it is utterly wrong and even more important, even if, even if they lose everything that is important to them personally, because it's mass formation is a kind of hypnosis. And just like in hypnosis, people are aware of everything that happens mentally outside of this small focus of attention. That's something very Hypnosis, what you see is that a simple hypnotic procedure is sufficient uh, to focus the attention of someone so much that he will, that the person will never feel that someone cuts into his flesh. It's a procedure that is used in some hospitals when someone is allergic to a, to a chemical anesthesia. Sometimes a simple hypnotic procedure is used which focuses the attention on, 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 on a positive thing and then the surgeon can cut straight through the, breast, through the breastbone. The patient will not feel it. So that's, that's exactly what happens in mass formation. The attention is focused on the, on the on virus, for instance, in this, in this case. And then uh, people are not aware that they lose uh, every, their psychological health or their physical health or that they lose their, 
their, their wealth, uh, uh, the, 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 their, their material well-being, and so on. Uh, the aspects of, uh, of the phenomenon of mass formation. Okay, that's that's twenty minutes of a quite heavy topic, but uh, uh, he's he's got a book coming out in January apparently called "The Psychology of Totalitarianism." Uh, I'll give you the guy's name again. It was a guy called Matthias Desmet, who, as far as I'm concerned, has has absolutely nailed it. And uh, if if everybody's hip, hip hypnotized which is what he's saying basically then then our job is to deprogram people it's to deprogram ourselves make sure that we don't get caught up in any kind of hypnosis on any side of the argument so there's an alternative media narrative going on there's, there's a, quite a few different alternative media narratives going on that are equally hypnotic as the vaccine narrative and as the virus narrative and I'm not falling into any traps or in any of them. I might visit one or two now and again to see what's going on. And, uh, but I'm not falling into any kind of hypnotic pattern with any of them. So my job is to deprogram myself, but to be aware of what's going on and to take a look and to see, see the patterns and to see, to see the processes that are going on and to make sure that I stay out of it. Hopefully you guys will come along with me, and uh, we can we can deprogram each other from all of this shit, including the alternative media narratives, because some of them are equally destructive. Uh, anyway, that's enough for me. That's, that's my job sorted for the rest of my life now, basically. This is what I'm doing for the rest of my life, is, uh, is deprogramming people from, from hypnosis. All right, thanks for listening. I'll see you again later.